Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. Happy Father's Day from me as well. Uh, my, my children bought me some socks which say on one sole it says, if you can read this, and on the other sole it says, then get me a cool beer. So I'm looking forward to testing that out in the weeks to come as I watch the Euros and enjoy the football. I might even test it out at Hugh and Claire's place later on. So. Um, <laughs> It's great to be able to be with you, it really is. Um, every time I've come here over the last few years and every time I've seen you guys at our prayer nights that have already been mentioned, it's just wonderful to see God adding more and more people to the family here. And uh, I guess I feel like a bit like an auntie who says, haven't you grown every time I see you? Um, but I know this is only just half of you because there's another service as well and it's just so wonderful uh, to see what God's doing amongst you. And uh, it really, I mean, just even in recent months, we at Hope have been kind of looking to you guys as you've taken the lead with getting back to in-person services and all of the hard work that that's been, but so important as well. And uh, just is a joy to see what God's doing amongst you. And today I'm going to be speaking about the backdrop to advance. And uh, the reason why I felt God uh, lead me to speak about this is because I do believe that there is a season of advance for you guys as a church. Um, not kind of to give you a shoulder massage and an ego boost, but I do believe that that is what God has for you. I believe that he has for you to be a church that really will be uh, town-shaping, town, a, a huge blessing in this town uh, and beyond as well. You've already been a, a blessing uh, beyond Colchester. I mean, you guys have sent teams to however many church plants you have done in different nations. Um, you've already sent people on permanently to different nations in different contexts. You're already seeing this beyond, but I believe there's more to come both here in Colchester and uh, beyond as well. So I really want to encourage you today about advance. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and this is all very new for you, maybe very weird for you, uh, you're so welcome. I want you to know this God who, who has a kingdom that is advancing uh, all across the globe. You can know him. Whether you're watching online or in here, you can know him. You can actually today make a, make a step towards him as he's, he's ready and waiting to receive you. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you turn to 1 Samuel and chapter 13. 1 Samuel is one of the books in the Old Testament. comes after Judges, where we uh, see, or well, it's a little while after Judges. I believe you've been working through that as a church recently. Where we see in the, um, in the history of the nation of Israel, they have a series of judges ruling their nation. But then Israel kind of start complaining about the fact that they don't have a king. And they're a bit like a teenager that says to their mum or dad, all the other kids at school have got an iPhone. I really want an iPhone too. And they start, they start saying to God, I really, we really want a king just like the other nations. And yet the deal was that God was to be their king. That was, that was the deal. And yet we kind of see, almost with pain in his heart, God gives them what they want. And he gives them a king. He gives them a king called Saul, who starts out pretty well. He does okay at the beginning, and then we see, and as we're going to see today, the nation of Israel are at war with the Philistines. They're at war with this nation, this, this neighboring nation. And there's a moment where the Philistines are uh, on the attack and Saul panics and he thinks, I've got to enlist God's help here. And he makes a sacrifice, but he doesn't wait for a priest to be present when he makes the sacrifice. And eventually Samuel rocks up. That's the, the book is named after this guy, Samuel, who's a major player in, in Israel. He rocks up and he says to Saul, you should have waited. What were you thinking? And he says, God is going to replace you. You're not going to be king forever. There's going to be a, a king that will come who will be after God's heart. And that is David, King David, who uh, kills Goliath. Maybe some of you will be familiar with that story. He comes later in the story. So we just start to see the beginning of Saul's downfall at this point. And in chapter 13, as we're going to see in just a moment... 
the Israelites are surrounded by a massive Philistine army. They've got chariots, they've got lots of weapons, and as we're going to see right now, the Israelites don't really have much at all. So let's pick up the story in First, uh, in first Samuel 13 and verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines, is this me? That's, do I need to move that away from there? How weird. <laughs> Here we go. It's, it's okay. We'll carry on. So, now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, that's a kind of pickaxe, his axe or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for the sharpening of the axes and for setting the goads. Now, on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. But Jonathan, but Jonathan and Saul had a sword. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. So this is the context of today's story. We see that the Philistines have tens of thousands of men. They have weapons and they have chariots. Saul has about 600 men with him. And the, the leader, this mighty king, is hiding in a cave. He is frightened. He is in despair. And he's, the only, he's one of two people who have a sword in the whole of the army. And Jonathan, his son, is the other who has a sword. Now, Jonathan is not going to lie down and take a beating. He's not going to just accept the inevitable. He's not going to say, well, we're going to be defeated, so we might as well just hide away or run away. No, he's a man of action. He, he looks around, and instead of saying, someone ought to do something about this, he thinks, I'm someone, and I've got to do something about it. That's how leaders emerge sometimes. Sometimes you get invited to step up into something and say, hey, could you take responsibility for this? Sometimes that's how leaders emerge. They get invited. Sometimes leaders emerge simply by looking around and thinking, someone ought to do something about this, and then they realize, I'm someone, and I ought to do something about this. And this is what happens here. Jonathan is not going to uh, just accept the status quo, as it were. Let's read on and see what happens. Jonathan has said to his armor bearer, let's go up to the Philistine garrison. Pick it up in verse 4. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bozes and the name of the other, Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish, and behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. 
for the Lord has given them into our, our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come on up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. This is a really, really reckless course of action at best. This is madness that Jonathan and his armor bearer would go on to take on these men. We learn there's 20 of them, there's two of them, and only one of them has a sword. And they've got to scale these cliffs in order to get up to the top where these Philistines are. And these cliffs are called Bozes and Senna, which means slippery and thorny. So it's really just not a very good idea at all. And what's more, because they've got to climb up cliffs to get there, they haven't got shields with them. So these guys could have been pelted with all kinds of rocks as they were just getting up there. They've literally just got one sword between them. This is reckless. This is madness. And yet, Jonathan is not going to just lie down and accept the status quo as it is. The enemy are confident. They're mocking. They're saying, look, they're coming out of their holes. They're like rodents. Here they come. They're finally coming out of their holes. And they say, come on up. We want to show you something. Now, they're not saying, hey, you've got to come and see our stamp collection. It's really nice. They're not saying, you've got to see our model railway, it's beautiful. No, no, no. They're saying, come up here and we will end you. They're saying, come up here, you're going to die. We'll show you what we're made of. You're going to die. So so Jonathan and his armor bearer are climbing up these cliffs and they're getting all these, these messages of fear coming towards them. And yet they continue to climb up. The odds are that Jonathan is going to his death. If you see these cliffs, what they look like today, it looks like you're entering into kind of jaws of death. That's kind of the picture before him as they begin this climb. He might take a couple out with him, but surely, surely they're not going to survive this. So up they go up the cliff, and we see what happens in the next few verses, verses 13 to 15. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very big panic. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they get to the top. It's a miracle that they've even survived the climb. I'm rubbish at climbing. I would have died within about two meters of the climb. It's a miracle that they get, it to, get to the top, and then there's just the greatest movie action scene you've ever seen in your life. I don't know if any of you have ever watched Band of Brothers. It's a great series, and there's a moment where Captain Winters, who's the hero of the series, he just goes on this run. He runs for about 200 meters with a, with a rifle in his hands, and he's about uh, 200 meters ahead of his his buddies, and he goes into this area where there's hundreds of Nazi troops, and he just starts shooting. It's like that kind of scene. It's like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And yet, as we see here, 20 of these guys die, presumably with, with Jonathan doing some, something to, to kind of wound them, and then his armor bearer finishing them off. We don't know how it works, but it's the greatest kind of movie action scene you can imagine. It's incredible. And then what happens next is there's panic. Understandably, the Philistines are thinking, who are these guys? They're on something. Like, they're not going to give up here. And then God sends an earthquake, and there's even more panic setting in. And then as we read on, what happens in the story is that um, Saul, he's, he's got lookouts kind of standing outside the cave, watching what's going on. They report back to him saying, 
Jonathan and his armor bearer have just killed 20 Philistines. The Philistines are going absolutely berserk here. They're running. And what happens is the, the turncoats who have even started to fight for the Philistines, they suddenly join back with the Israelites, which must have been quite a funny scene. And they start running after the Philistines for themselves. And eventually the Philistines are nowhere to be seen. The, 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 the lookouts say they're melting away. They're melting away. Now this isn't the end of the story. We know in just a few uh, chapters time, David takes on Goliath and there's still more war with the Philistines. But this is a major advance this is victory from the jaws of defeat. This is a hopeless situation turned around and suddenly the people of God are standing strong. They're standing tall again. Now what on earth does this have to teach us in Colchester in 2021? How on earth is this relevant for us, this old battle story of old? Well, I believe it, it teaches us some principles about advance. I really believe it teaches some things about the kingdom and how it advances. Now, I don't know where you're from. You may be a citizen of the UK. You might be from another nation. But if you've, if you've come to know Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you're now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You, you, you belong to a kingdom that doesn't have borders or passports, but that your ultimate identity is a heavenly kingdom that is advancing all across the world. Wherever there are people coming under the, the gracious kingly rule of Jesus, wherever people are seeing him to be who he really is, that is where the kingdom of God is advancing. That is happening all across the world. And you are now, uh, you're called into that kingdom and you're called to see it advance. That's, I don't know if you know that, I don't know if you've, you've grasped that in your heart, that you're now part of seeing this, this heavenly kingdom advance across the world. This is, this is something that God has for you to do whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or for 50 years, this is something that he's calling, calling you to be a part of, his kingdom's advance in the world today. This is what he has for you. And, and we know that this kingdom will go on advancing. There's famous verses we read at Christmas time in Isaiah 9, where it talks about, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, all these incredible names that Jesus would have, and it says, towards the end of that passage, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And what's more, and this is where it gets really good, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That means that God, in his zeal, is going to make it happen. The Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. And angels are not fat, chubby babies floating on clouds. These are fearsome beings. The Lord of angel armies is going to accomplish this, the zeal that he has in his heart. Now, I don't know what you're zealous about. You might be zealous about climate activism. You might be zealous about uh, running and getting fit. You might be zealous about uh, a Scottish football team. You might be zealous about all kinds of things, but your zeal for those things pales into uh, insignificance when it comes to the zeal that God has that his kingdom will advance across the whole earth. He is zealous for this, and so it will surely come to pass. And even when it seems like God has met his match, it is no match for the living God. Even when we see in, in, in China a few decades ago, communism rising up, and, and Christians thrown in prison, and people told, you must not speak about Jesus. What happens? Millions of people come into the kingdom of God and worship Jesus as their savior. Wind back 2,000 years when the Emperor Nero has Christians uh, tortured and made into candlesticks, all kinds of awful stuff. 
And what happens in that moment? The kingdom of God grows even more. Like wildfire, it spreads from town to town, nation to nation. The kingdom of God goes on advancing. And God has for you to be a part of his kingdom advance. It cannot be stopped. He will have a people for himself in every tribe and tongue and nation. And the, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as surely as the water covers the sea. That is good news, friends. We are in a kingdom that is ever advancing. And God wants us to be strengthened by that, and he wants you to play your part in seeing the kingdom of God advance. So this is why we see this story today teaches us some things about advance. We're going to look at four things in particular, because I do believe that there is advance for you guys here in Colchester. I believe that there there are great things on the horizon, and you can look back five years ago and think, wow, hasn't God, done it? God, hasn't God done incredible things? I wonder what you'll say in 2026. I think you'll see some incredible things happening. So the first thing we see here is that advance emerges from dissatisfaction with the way things are. This, this mission of Jonathan and his armor bearer, it didn't come about as a result of boredom. Jonathan didn't have dad issues. He didn't think, I've got to prove to my dad that I'm macho and that I've got it. And that all those sword lessons I had have been worthwhile. No, this was, this was born out of dissatisfaction with the way things were. He, he looked around and saw that the, the armies of the Philistines were uh, coming towards them. That, they were the, that, that, that Israel was the people of God. That was to be the, the special nation of God that was going to be blessed and be a blessing. That through them all the peoples of earth would be blessed. Jonathan looks at this and thinks, this cannot be. We can't be hiding in caves trying to kind of put our fingers over our ears and closing our eyes, hoping it's all going to go away. He's not satisfied with the way things are. Friends, I really believe that God wants to break our hearts for the way things are in our nation. There's so much that is broken, isn't there? There's so much that is broken. People looking for answers in all the wrong places. This is, this, there's so much brokenness. We were at the park just yesterday afternoon and I just said to Sarah, I feel so sad because just about three meters from where we were pushing our kids on the swings, there was about a dozen or 15 young guys, some of them as young as 12, 13, doing drugs and completely high and off their faces. And I thought, in 10 years' time, some of those guys are going to be dead. I had friends in my school who were doing drugs at 12, 13, 23, 24. Some of them died through overdose, through suicide, all kinds of stuff. And I just thought, this cannot be, we cannot have this. We cannot be happy with this. We cannot allow this to, 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 we can't put our fingers in our ears and cover up our eyes and think this is all going to go away. We've got to allow ourselves to be stirred by the brokenness that we see around us. We've got to allow ourselves, as we walk around Colchester, around our neighborhoods, we've got to allow ourselves to be stirred by God, to ask him, God, would you, would you break us for what breaks your heart? Would you, would you, would you stir us? Would we not be satisfied we can rejoice by all means about what God is doing at Redeemer Church and in other churches in Colchester. We rejoice in it. He's doing wonderful things. But we want more, don't we? We want to see more and more people come to find the Redeemer. We want more and more people to come and find hope in Him. We want, to, we want them to find that because there's no answers to be found other than in knowing Jesus. And people are looking in all the wrong places. There's brokenness wherever we look. And so... Jonathan was stirred by the situation around him. He didn't get lulled to sleep by the world's lullabies. Friends, that's a real danger for us, that we can kind of allow ourselves to kind of, you know, with entertainment or whatever, we can kind of allow ourselves to just kind of ignore what's going on in the world. We don't want to look upon the world with judgment and think, oh, at least I'm better than them. No, no, that's not our posture. Our posture is compassion. 
When, when God does something in our hearts, he gives us compassion. We look around and say, I'm not happy with this. I've got to go. People have got to know. People have got to know about this Jesus. So, advance emerges from dissatisfaction with the way things are. Secondly, advance comes when we, when we reckon on God's favor. Now, I don't know if you're um, initially from this country or not, but one of the things you may have noticed about British people is that we are we're quite pessimistic. Okay? I mean, we sing It's Coming Home about the football. None of us believe it. Like, <laughs> none of us believe it's coming home. We're, we're one of the most pessimistic nations on the planet. Uh, I think one in three people were, were asked at the beginning of this year, do you think this year is going to be better or worse than last year? Like, last year we had a global pandemic. We were in lockdown for most of the year, and one in three people thought this year was going to be worse than last year. I mean, that just kind of, that kind of says some things, doesn't it, about our, our, our personality as a, as, as a British people. I think there was a, there was a major study done of, of the 25 most developed nations and we were third when it, came to, when it comes to cynicism and pessimism. I mean, that's pretty serious, isn't it? We were beaten only by the Italians and the French in first. They were the most pessimistic of the 25 most developed nations in the world. I mean, we're kind of taught it will never happen, aren't we? Like the Americans, they're kind of told, if you follow your dreams, then you could be the president of the United States. If you just believe hard enough, if you dream hard enough and follow your dreams, you can make it. We're kind of told it's never going to happen. And, and listen, this is not the attitude of Jonathan here, but he's not kind of got this sort of vain, sort of Disney-esque hope, if only I just dream hard enough. No, no, he's reckoning on the favor of God. He's not, he's not taught to kind of think of all the things that could possibly go wrong. I mean, we're, 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 this is drilled into us. Like we're, think, we're to think of all the things that could possibly go wrong. Like As a pastor of a church... I did not expect to find myself having to do risk assessments last year. Like for some events, I had to get involved in putting together risk assessments. And when you put together a risk assessment, maybe you've had to do this for Redeemer or for your work situation, you have to think of everything that could possibly go wrong. So not just like, could someone catch COVID, but like, could someone trip over a wire? Could someone get run over by a car or the car park? You have to think of everything that could possibly go wrong when you're putting together a risk assessment. This is kind of like drilled into us. If I take this step, what are the things that could go wrong? And this wasn't in Jonathan's mind. But it wasn't because he thought he would be a really great hero. It wasn't because he, he thought, well, you know, if I just believe hard enough in myself, then I can do all things. No, it, it was that he reckoned on the favor of God being with him. How do we know this? Well, he, 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 speaks, of the, he speaks of the Philistines as these uncircumcised Philistines. Now, this isn't some kind of there's no correlation between being circumcised and being a great fighter. There's no correlation between uncircumcised and being a rubbish fighter. No, no. He, the, the, the mark of circumcision for the people of God in the Old Testament was, was this thing of we are God's special possession. Out of all the nations in the world, we have been chosen to be his people, to be blessed and to be a blessing. So Jonathan, every day, has this reminder for him of I'm part of the people of God. I'm not going to accept that God is going to allow us to be crushed. He's given us promises. He's made promises over us as a nation that he's not going to just go back on. He said, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. He's not going to go back on that. And so he's, he's reckoning on God being with him. And he says, maybe the Lord will work for us because nothing can hinder him from saving by many or by few. So he's... He's, he's, he's counting on the favor of God being with him. 
He's not thinking, what could possibly go wrong? Could we fall down the cliffs? Could we, when we get up there, what might happen? What, you know, he's thinking, God is with us. And there's nothing special about his fighting ability. It's simply, I belong to God. And he's with me. And friends, we have even more reason to reckon on the favor of God. We've got even more reason to reckon on the favor of God than Jonathan had. Because we, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, we've been united to him forever. And nothing can separate us from him. We can't be plucked from God's hand. We are unpluckable from his hand. Do you know that? Do you know that, do you know that assurance? Do you know that he's with you and he's promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you know that? Do you know that in your heart? Do you know that deep down? You've got more reason to reckon on God's favor than Jonathan had. He's with you. We need to align ourselves with the truths of what God has said over us and what he's done for us. And when we do that, we're going to be like the Apostle Paul who says in Romans 8 and verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's not asking you at this point to list down the the amazing list of people who could be against us. He's saying it's irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant who's against you if God is with you. It's totally irrelevant. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When we take this to heart, when we take the truths of what Jesus has done done for us to our hearts, then we ask that kind of question. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he didn't hold back from giving his own son for us, then we need not fear that he's going to hold back anything else we need. He's going to give us all that we need as we step out in faith for him. So advance comes when we reckon on God's favor. We need to, friends, we need to let the word of God dwell in us richly. That's why it's so good that you're here today. That's why it's so good that you're joining us online because it's in these contexts and in others where you gather together in your groups where you let the word of God dwell in you richly, where you let it kind of get into your heart, where you let it affect your mind and your decisions, that he's with you, that he won't abandon you, he won't leave you now. Thirdly, advance is fueled by outrageous risk-taking. Reckoning on God's favor being with us leads us to take risks. It leads us to do some things that are sometimes outrageous. We're, our posture as churches is not to be on the defensive, kind of holding on for dear life until Jesus returns, thinking we're just going to keep this cozy club together and try to you know, be kind of protective as it were. No, it's, it's to be on the offensive. It's to say, well, we're, we're going to go and take the word to people. A couple of years ago, Myself and a friend of mine, we were just, we were thinking, we've got to start to share the gospel more. So we started this, this life group called Word on the Street, and we, we, we rocked up outside of Sin Nightclub in Ipswich, and we, we just gave out biscuits and hot drinks. We invited some friends to come and help us. We had incredible conversations with people, some who I don't think remembered the conversation the next morning, unfortunately. We were ministering to, to, to taxi drivers and to bouncers and to nightclubbers and to homeless. And it was wonderful. And that group was going on. It's in different leadership now. Different people taking it on. This, this kind of culture of let's go and share Jesus. We've got to take Jesus to people. It takes risks. It takes a bit of, we're going to look stupid. People are going to laugh at us. No one really did actually as it goes. People had some great things to say about the fact that we were standing outside a nightclub called Sin. 
But other than that, people just wanted to hear. They wanted to hear. Advance take, it takes risks. Risk is an action that exposes us to the possibility of injury or loss. Whether that's loss of reputation, loss of income, loss of health, loss of friends, maybe even life. But in our nation, we're encouraged to be as risk-averse as possible. I mean, this year is a great example of that, isn't it? We are encouraged to be as risk-averse as possible. Like, this has been a crazy year. I, we, we, we needed to see some things happen to make sure people, more people didn't get sick. Understand. But we're kind of drill, it's drilled into us that we can't have risk. Well, we take risks every day. We take risks all of the time. Friends, I, I think we need to recover some risk-taking for the kingdom of God. Not because we're going to be heroes and people are going to think, wow, aren't they so courageous? But like, no, risk is, is right. Risk is necessary if we're going to see the kingdom of God advance. There's a huge risk here. Jonathan takes a risk. He's got no personal promise from God that he's going to survive. He's got no personal promise from God that they're going to be victorious. But risk is right. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see Queen Esther when her people are threatened, the king's advisor is saying to, her, to, to the king, you're going to have to deal with the Jews, kill them all off. And Queen Esther goes to the king, who's fierce, like it's a, it's a risk. If you say something untoward to the king, you're going to get killed off. He's got plenty of other women he can have. And, and she says, I want to go to the king. She says, if I perish, I perish. She pleads for the, the people of Israel. We see with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're, they're told you must not bow down to uh, your God, you've got to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. They, 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 they're told, if you don't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to go into the fiery furnace. And they say, we believe that God is going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. They take a risk. They know God is, God is going to do justice. He's going to do right at the end of the day. The Apostle Paul is told by Agabus, this prophet, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and they're going to, you're going to die, Paul. He says, I'm willing to even die for the name of Jesus. Not because he wanted to be a hero, not because he wanted people to remember him as some great martyr, but because he had, he had seen something in the kingdom of God. He'd seen something in Jesus. He wanted everyone to know this Jesus. And he, he reckoned on God's favor being with him that even if I go to my grave, it means I'm going to be with Jesus forever. <laughs> so to live, is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what had kind of got a hold of him. I love Jesus. And even if this leads to my death. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm going to go and be with him forever. So what is God calling you forward to? What, is he, what has he put in your heart or your mind? And you just know that's a risk. What he's asking me to do is a risk. Is it to start something up in your workplace? A couple of friends of mine have just started an alpha course in their workplace. They've got uh, a spiritualist in there uh, who's got into all kinds of weird and wacky stuff. They've got a, a couple of people who've previously had some sort of dealings with Catholicism and they're just starting to share the gospel every Tuesday lunchtime. That's what they're doing every single week. Maybe God's calling you to do that, something like that in your workplace. It might be that you think, if I do that, what might my reputation be like? Would they think I'm some sort of weirdo? Maybe it's that you, you, you know God's calling you to, to actually go to another place and to uh, see something of a church planted and the kingdom of God established and you think to yourself, what will my parents think? Because my parents will think that's a reckless thing to do. I've got, I've got a good job where I am, and, I, and I'm settled where I am. And you might be overly kind of bothered by what your parents think. 
because they think, well, you should stay where you are and do what you're doing because this is, you know, this is sensible. It might be that you, you, you feel that like call to go and just speak to, I mean, yesterday I had my children with me and I thought, should I go and speak to these youths? I, I think I bottled it, really. But I, I feel like sometimes God might just, I mean, I have been out and spoken to guys in the park, actually, on a number of occasions with my friend who we started this group together. We've gone and done that because we've just seen these people need the gospel. But yesterday I just thought, these guys need the gospel. I might have to take a friend with me and go back when I haven't got my kids with me and cannabis is just kind of filling the air. What is it that God's calling you and stirring you to? And you just think, well, what if I do that? I might lose reputation, or I might lose some income, or I might lose friendship. I might lose the approval of my parents or family. What is it that God might be calling you to? Maybe even as we pray in just a moment, you might just need to declare afresh to God, you are enough for me, (laughs) and I know you're going to provide. And if you're for me, then who can be against me? You just reckon again on his favor, his, his being with you. He's calling you forward. Maybe that the elders here have asked you to lead a life group and you think, well, what, what if no one comes? What if it's rubbish? Step forward, take a risk. See God work through you in amazing ways. There's always a danger we're going to fail. You know, in Romans 8, we see all these lists of things that could possibly go wrong hardship, nakedness, sword, imprisonment, all these things that could go wrong. But Paul says, none of these things are going to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So even if you lose all those things, you're a winner because you've got the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's, like, it's not saying none of, those things are never, none of those things are ever going to happen, but he's saying you're never going to be separated from the love of God in Christ. That's the, that's the biggest deal, guys. So what is it that you're, you're being called forward to? He's going to ensure that you have all you need. He will ensure you have all you need. And you've got Jesus, you have everything. Finally, <clears throat> advance is accelerated when we are together, heart and soul. That's what the armor bearer says to Jonathan. He says, do what is in your heart. I am with you, heart and soul. Friends, I believe that in the years to come, God is going to add more to your number I believe that you're going to find yourself sometimes thinking, oh, all these people sitting around me, I don't think I know them. You're going to have the conversations where you say, are you, are you new to the church? And someone's going to say, I've been coming here for three years. Like, that's going to happen, friends. And, and when that happens, you might find that you have less time with your elders. And you might have less time with key people, and you might think, oh, it's not really, doesn't feel right. I, I liked it when we were smaller, and when we could, see everyone all the time and know everyone and I could look around and I could name everyone in the room. Friends, there's, that's gonna co- there's gonna come a time when that will happen. And I, I really want to pray for you guys that you will stay together heart and soul in all of this. That you'll be united, that you'll, that you'll be able to say to your elders, hey guys, I'm with you. I'm with you heart and soul. That is one of the, the best things that a pastor can hear. <laughs> When you speak to Ben and Al and Tom and Hugh, you say, guys, I'm with you, heart and soul. Whatever you call us forward into, we're with you. And even, thing, even though things are going to change, the culture will change. Things will change as you, as you grow and as things develop and as you reach more and more into the town, things are going to change. I really believe God would just say to you today, make sure that you, in your heart, don't allow the change to kind of uh, cause you to be bitter about you know, proximity that you might have to people or to the, the, to the kind of the, um, sometimes the nostalgia for the way things used to be. 
I loved it when we just had eight of us in a lounge or whatever it might be. God's going to do things amongst you and he wants you to be together, heart and soul. So can we stand together? I'd love to pray for us and then I don't know if there's going to be time or not for a song at the end. Probably not. Hugh will come and wrap up. Let's pray, shall we? Let's, let's lift our hands to this God who is with us. Let's invite him to come and do a work in our hearts now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this amazing story of advance. Thank you that this encourages us, Lord, that when we step out in faith, when we step out for you, that you go with us. Lord, that you don't abandon us. And Lord God, that you've got great purposes for us. Thank you for Redeemer Church. Father God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you that you are doing wonderful things through this church. Thank you that that you are adding people to this church, even in a pandemic, Lord, you've added people to this family. Thank you so much, Father. Nothing can stop you, not even lockdowns, not even government mandates. Nothing can stop you. You are advancing your kingdom all across the world, and nothing can hinder you, Lord. You've never met any opponent that you scratch your head at and think this is going to be tricky. There's never been a moment, Father, where that's come, and we praise you. We are so grateful that we're part of a kingdom that will go on advancing. We're part of something that will have no end. The increase of your government and peace will have no end. And we praise you we're part of that, Lord, today. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I ask you, Father, that you would come and strengthen us within. That you would strengthen us within with these truths, that you are for us. Lord, and who can be against us? You are with us. That you who did not spare your only son from us, but gave himself, you gave him up for us, how much more, how much more will you give these men and women here everything they need? I pray, Lord God, that the, the sacrifice of Jesus will be at the forefront of their minds each day. This one who went into the enemy camp without a sword, this one who went into the jaws of death, this one who, who, who didn't just uh, go there but actually lost his life for us who went there so that we could be forgiven, so that he could pay the price for our iniquity, that he pay the price for our sin. Lord, I pray that we would look to Jesus and his sacrifice and that this would fill us with confidence that if he would do this for us, if, Father, you would give him up for us, that you would give us everything else we need. I pray, Father God, that you would stir up risk takers within this church. You would stir up those that are not satisfied with the way things are. You would stir up uh, those that look around with compassion on this town and upon this nation and who would be stirred to go with the gospel, who'd be stirred to go and take risks, who'd be stirred to go and risk losing reputation, risk losing even their lives, Lord, for your gospel. I pray you'd stir up this church, stir us up, Lord, as a family of churches. Would we see great and wondrous things happening in the years to come? Lord, as we step out for you, as you go with us, as we see ground taken in, in, for your name, for your glory. Just as we've got our eyes closed, maybe there are some here, you just know God's had his hand on this for a while and I've been holding back for fear of what will people think of me. And I really felt that, even as I was preparing for this, that parental opinion was a big deal. Maybe, you're, maybe your uh, parents are not even with us anymore but you kind of just feel what would they think if I did this and you're trying to honor what you think they would think 
I think that's even happening in some cases. I believe God will just say, I'm with you. I'm with you. You want to do your best to honor your parents, of course, but I'm with you. And I'm calling you forward. I'm the one whose opinion matters. There might be others just know other things that are just holding you back. Why don't you just, under your breath now, just say it to God that you know that he is with you. Just reckon on his favor again. Say, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. God is with me. Thank you, Lord. Just come and work in hearts now, I pray. Just whilst we've got our, our eyes closed, I think it's just a moment here for uh, some who, who don't know this God, who maybe are here or watching online and thinking, they seem passionate about this God, but I don't know him. I pray, Father God, that you'd come and reveal yourself to these people now. Come and show them your love. It's a moment here, maybe you're joining at home, whether you're here in the room, just a moment now. You can just say to this God, I, I want to know you. I want to give my life to you. I receive your free gift of forgiveness. I receive it. I want you to change my life. Just say to Jesus, I want you to change my life. Turn me around. Forgive me. Cleanse me. If you have made that step or if you do in just a moment please please do speak to someone here who you know on the welcome team or Hugh who's been leading the meeting please get in touch online we'd love to hear from you these guys would love to help you in your next steps that might be baptism might be that public declaration of I belong to Jesus wonderful God bless you thank you so much for listening over to you